0: Psalm 112 is where we are. I don't know about you, but there are certain things when they get spilled, uh, you rush to them and take care of them. Sweet tea is one of those things because when it's spilled, it's everywhere and it's sticky or milk. Uh, A few years ago, I had uh, a gallon of milk in the back of my Jeep. And uh, in the very back, and it spilled, went around the spare tire. It was so bad. I was cleaning it out, trying to get that smell out. I'm not sure how long it lasted, how nasty it was, but it was so bad. Every time the car would get hot, well, you smell the milk. Other things, you spill water, you let it be. Sometimes if I spill coffee, if it's in a good place, I like it because it's going to smell good. It's just whatever it is, Uh, so what's the point in talking about spilling things? The reality, the simple reality is that uh, when you bump into something, whatever is in it comes out of it, and when life bumps into us, whatever is in us comes out. It is hard to argue with what is inside when life hits us hard. Psalm 112 is that kind of psalm. It reveals that when the inevitable trials come, our true character emerges. I learned something remarkable, and I have been just studying these psalms. I learned when I began to study Psalm 112, never preached from this psalm, when I began to study Psalm 112 that it is inextricably linked to Psalm 111. As a matter of fact, if you could read them in the Hebrew, you would discover that together they form an acrostic. They begin with the letters of the uh, the Hebrew alphabet in verse 1 of 111. They keep going all the way through verse uh, 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 10 of 112. They never stop. So really, these two Psalms go together. But what you will discover, and you may want to do this when you gather as a life group around uh, uh, the, this word, either tonight or throughout the week, what you may want to do is take Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, put them side by side. They're like hinge uh, psalms. Uh, each verse is a reflection of the other verses in the psalms. You will notice that verses 1 through 8 of Psalm 111 talk about God, and verses 1 through 8 of Psalm 112 talk about a godly person. In other words, Psalm 112, a godly person, is only possible because of Psalm 111. In Psalm 111, God is revealed, in Psalm 112, God is reflected. In Psalm 111, God is revealed. In Psalm 112, God is reflected. So it is from these two Psalms together that we discover three ways that you and I can reflect God in a pandemic, in an unforeseen trial. First of all, we reflect God by fearing him supremely. Let's go to Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. That's Psalm 111. Now let's go to Psalm 112. Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. What do we get when we see these two Psalms and sitting at home, wherever you are, hopefully you're looking at one and looking at the other. We see a remarkable principle. God works in you so that he can work through you. God works in you so that he can work through you. Notice the progression from Psalm 111 to Psalm 112. In Psalm 111:1, one, the psalmist studies the great works of the Lord. In Psalm 12:1, one, the psalmist does the great works of the Lord. He studies them in 111.1. He does them in 112.1. Many have grappled over what does it mean to fear God? If we say we fear him supremely, what does that look like? To fear the Lord is to do his will. You can summarize it like that. To fear the Lord is to do his will. For example, because I fear the police, I slow down and obey the speed limit. Because I feared my teachers, I did my homework. Because I fear God, I do what he says. I'm not terrified of him, I respect him. And as a result, God works in me so that he can work through me. God works in you so that he can work through you. Now, what is the fruit of this? Don't miss this. His offspring, his children will be mighty in the land. Godly kids are almost always the result of godly parents. Godly kids are almost always the result of godly parents. So I have some questions for you. They're soul-searching questions. As our lives have completely changed and you have been bumped into and spilled out, what has come out of you? Are you complaining, arguing with one another as a family, bickering with your spouse, whining over insignificant things. We reflect God by fearing him supremely. And secondly, we reflect God by loving others generously. I'll read again Psalm 111, 3 and through 6, and then I'll read 112, 3 through 6. This is God. Full of splendor and majesty is his, God's work, and his righteousness endures forever. I love this. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of nations. That's God. Look at the godly man or woman. Verses 3 through 6. Wealth and riches... Are in his or her house and his righteousness endures forever like dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. How is it that God's righteousness is remembered forever? It's by his giving. Did you get that in Psalm 111? God is known by his generosity. Let's look at three words here. Gracious means to bend the knee in kindness to an inferior. That's the meaning of that Old Testament word gracious. To bend the knee in kindness to an inferior. Merciful is withholding punishment from someone who deserves it. Righteous is being just and fair. The combination of these three terms brings up a serious dilemma. How can God be all three? How can he bend in kindness to an inferior, withhold punishment to one who deserves it, and still be fair? The answer comes from the most memorized verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. The only way God can bend in kindness to an inferior, withhold judgment when it is due, and be fair, is if there was one who received that due judgment instead of the person who should have. It is the only way there can be divine consistency it is the only way God can be one and the same and be merciful and be righteous and be gracious because in Christ, Christ took on himself your sin. He took my sin. He who knew no sin became sin. For us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God loved and he gave. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And when you and I reflect God, we too are gracious, merciful, and righteous. Notice what the psalmist says. Darkness is still mentioned, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Darkness still visits the righteous person. Trying to avoid dark times is like playing dodgeball with an invisible ball. You can't do it. Darkness comes to everyone. However, if the person of Psalm 112 is a reflection of the God of Psalm 111, then your light isn't necessary. You are reflecting the light of God. Well, how do you know you are? Don't forget that we said in Psalm 111, 1, the righteous person studies the works of God. In 112, 1, he does them. Look at verse 6. This is following the mention of darkness. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. I brought this morning a book I'm reading by David McCullough called The Pioneers. McCullough's a great historian, and this book, as you can imagine, is about the Western settlement of this great country. Chapter three I landed on last week is called Difficult Times. In the westward expansion, there were indeed difficult times. As a matter of fact, there is one year that they call the hungry year when crops failed and corn rotted and there was an outbreak of measles. As a matter of fact, they quarantined immediately, they knew to do something. And when the measles erupted, they built small cabins. If you think you're living in tight quarters, these were about 20 to 30 square feet with four-foot ceilings. And they sent folks to those cabins. McCullough talks about the many causes of the hunger, the hungry year. But on page 80, this is what he says. What saved the settlement was generosity. To Barker, that is one of the settlers, it was a powerful lesson in life. He quotes him. Where poverty, improvidence, and scarcity meet, he wrote, charity and benevolence only could give relief. Later, Marietta, that's the settlement, Marietta's earliest historian, Samuel Hildreth, was to write. In this great scarcity, it was wonderful how little there was of selfishness and how generally kindness and good feeling abounded. Those who had more resources lent or gave to those who had less. One family in particular came to the rescue in a way never forgotten, Isaac and Rebecca Williams, immigrant farmers from Pennsylvania who had settled on the Virginia side of the Ohio River, across from Marietta, were known and admired for their consistently abundant harvest. To those now starving, Mr. Williams sold his corn at the usual price of 50 cents a bushel instead of the then-going price of $2.50. Yes, they were gouging people even then. To the desperately poor, he let them have it without payment. To speculators who offered to buy all he had, he refused to sell even a bushel. Joseph Barker, in his later reminiscences, would recount how two heads of families told Williams they had no bread and had to come get what corn they could with the little money they had. How many is there of you, said Mr. Williams? Rising of 20 was the reply. Dang it, says the old man, there is a heap of you, but you must have half a bushel apiece. And they had. Those who had cows wrote... Historian Hildreth divided the milk with their neighbors, especially where there were children. Sugar or molasses they had little of, as they had not kettles to boil the sap of the maple. The Ohio company, with the liberality worthy of all praise, assisted many poor families with small loans of money where the suffering would have been much greater. With this, they could occasionally get provisions from boats descending the Ohio. That's our history. And that hungry year was answered by generosity. If you're going to make the history books, it will not be because you were selfish. Verse 6 says, For the righteous will never be moved. He or she will be remembered forever. Some of you will make an impact and others will make an imprint. Impacts are temporary. Imprints last. Which will it be? Which will it be today? Which will it be now that we are where we are experiencing what we are experiencing? Will we reflect God Or our own selfish tendencies. We reflect God by fearing Him supremely. We reflect God by loving others generously. And thirdly, we reflect God by trusting Him completely. Look at verses 7 and 8 of 111. The works of God's hands, His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. All right, that's God. How does a godly man or woman respond not to news... But to God first and then the news. I love this verse 112, 7, and 8. He or she is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I'm here to say to you, and you know it bad things happen to good people. They do. Darkness lands in the middle of light-filled people. Most news these days isn't good. Godly people die from this virus too. How is it that the godly person isn't afraid of bad news? She trusts. The Lord. He trusts the Lord. Why? Because the works of God's hands are trustworthy. God has never ever once demonstrated that He cannot be trusted. As a result, the Psalmist writes, The godly person will not be afraid of Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. There is a key word here, and the key word is until. Until is filled with hope. Until anticipates tomorrow's joy in the middle of today's sorrow. The person who reflects Psalm 111 has hope when others are hopeless and thinks until, sees tomorrow when today has so much worries of its own I grew up singing an old song its title is until then the words my heart can sing when i pause to remember a heartache here is but a stepping stone along the trail that's winding always upward remember this this world is not my final home. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold that city. Until the day God calls me home. As a matter of fact, verses 9 and 10 of 111 point forward. He Sent redemption, God, to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. All right, he, he redeemed in the past. He loves in the present, into the future. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding, his praise endures forever. That's God. Well, how does somebody who reflects him act? He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish I want you to do something here for a moment. The wicked man, take that phrase out. I'm going to reread this. You see, there's a a reality that what Satan intends for evil, God means for good. And when this virus, as it moves and, and this invisible enemy comes as it has, Satan longs to trip us up. But what if he doesn't? What if instead there is praise to God? What if instead God gets glory? What if instead the gospel goes out? If that happens, what will will cause that to be? He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. That would be you and me. His righteousness endures forever, his horn is exalted in honor. Satan sees it and is angry. Well, so hope we're making him angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. He steps back from a week of prayer and says, if a dozen churches in McDowell County are going to come together and pray, I can do nothing there. That's what he does. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. His desire perishes because he cannot accomplish it. Wow. That's how to live in a pandemic. That's how to do life when life is undoing you. Jerry, how can I distribute freely? We have focused, having no idea what was coming our way, that we wanted you, the Grace family, to share the gospel. And we've talked in this first quarter, which just ended, of gospel conversations. We had a goal of 300, not invites to church. We know there are many, many more of those, but actual gospel conversations. Let's pause for a moment to see where we are. I don't know the number. I'm excited to see. Let's check it out. Hundred seventeen conversations about Jesus. Satan sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. You can distribute freely by sharing the gospel. You can distribute freely by sharing your resources. I received this email from Steve Gato. Steve is a new life group leader here at Grace. I asked him as I did all of our lock group leaders this week about his group. He says our group is healthy right now and through Amy's connection with the school system, we were able to stock the cupboard of a family who has just moved here with six people living in a 900-square-foot house. They moved back in with parents and were in need of food. He said it was a great blessing for them and our small group They hope to come visit us when this blows over and we'll try to watch online during the crisis. To Steve and your group, thank you. And to this family, if you're watching, it is our joy to serve people like you. You can distribute freely by sharing the gospel. You can distribute freely by sharing your resources. You can distribute freely by praying. I shared earlier, bless every home that enlists you to pray for your neighborhood by name. Go to McDowellCares.com and sign up to pray this next week. Let's fill every single spot, especially... That 12 midnight, I checked it out this morning and saw that midnight slot already taken by some folks. That 12 midnight to 6 a.m. spot. You can distribute freely by praying. At some point this week, we will launch a prayer line that when folks call in and they're anxious, the folks in our county can, if they'd like prayer, direct them to this line, and somebody will answer or call them back and pray with them. What opportunities we have to reflect the God of Psalm 111. Lord, Lord, blessed is the man or woman who fears you, who greatly delights in your commandments. His or her offspring will be mighty in the land. His or her generation will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in her house And his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for such a person. She is gracious. He is merciful. They are righteous. It is well with the one who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. O Lord, for the righteous will never be moved but remembered forever. She is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Her heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Oh, she has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked, Satan, his demons and his emissaries see it and that they are angry. They gnash their teeth and they will one day ultimately melt away. But oh Lord, as their desire perishes, ours wane. May it be so. In your name, Jesus, we pray.